Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Today's podcast is brought to you by ExpressVPN. So thank ExpressVPN for supporting the Peter Schiff Show podcast. You probably don't think much about internet privacy on your home network, but ExpressVPN will secure your privacy and protect your information. So visit expressvpn.com gold, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. Earlier today, the Federal Reserve concluded its most recent two-day meeting, and as widely expected, they did not raise interest rates. They left them at 0 to 0.25%. They didn't cut them to negative, although nobody was actually expecting the Fed to go there yet. But I think what few people probably anticipated was perhaps the most dovish statement that I've ever heard uh, a Fed chairman make. And basically, it was in the Q&A that, you know, whenever uh, they come out with an official statement, Powell always has a press conference. And again, this is a break with tradition because they didn't have a press conference after every meeting. They used to do it every quarter, and Powell decided to be more transparent. So he's doing it after every meeting. And of course, now it's a Zoom conference. So you get to see all the little people uh, in their windows asking the Fed chairman some good questions. In fact, the best question was the last question, and I will talk about it later, uh, but I want to focus on this topic right now, which was in response to a question really about what the Fed was going to do under certain circumstances or if the Fed... I Actually, I don't even remember the exact question because uh, I was so shocked by the answer that I think I, you know, I kind of lost track of uh, what question Powell was answering. I just realized that. But anyway, it had to do with rate hikes or, you know, when they might come or something like that. And then what Powell said was that the Fed is not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates at this point. So 
not only is the Fed not thinking about raising rates, they're not even thinking about thinking about raising rates, which means a rate hike is nowhere on the horizon. In fact, in their official statement, they said the Fed was committed to leaving interest rates at zero uh, and continuing its bond buying program into the year 2022. But the fact that they're not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates really shows me that what the Fed is doing now really amounts to nothing but a monetary Hail Mary. I mean, the Fed is desperate. They know that everything is going to fall apart. And so they just got interest rates at zero and they don't care what happens. It's like they've got their pedal to the metal and they're going full speed ahead and they've just closed their eyes. They don't even care what's on the road because it doesn't matter. Even if they go over a cliff and crash and burn, it doesn't matter because they're going to die anyway. I mean, that's basically what they're saying. I mean, I can't even believe that uh, the markets can hear that comment and that the dollar didn't get hammered even more than it already was or that gold didn't go up even higher than it already was. I mean, it was probably up maybe about 20 bucks or a little less uh, when that statement was made. I think it closed up about $24, 1739-ish. Uh, uh, but really, if people understood uh, that statement, gold would be a lot higher. And I have a feeling that as people chew on that overnight, gold is going a lot higher and the U.S. dollar is going a lot lower. In fact, the dollar index was down again today. We closed above 96, but we did get through uh, 96 earlier in the day. We got down to 95.71. Uh, so this is a new low for the move. We haven't taken out the March low yet before we ran all the way up to 103. But we've now dropped from 103 down to below 96 on the dollar index. But I have a feeling that this losing streak is going to continue, especially uh, when people really uh, dissect what Powell just said about not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates, because that is such an uh, incompetent and arrogant statement all at once. Because what you want is for your central bank to be thinking about what the scenarios might be that would require, you know, an earlier than expected rate hike. Like they're actually watching the data and they're going to, you know, see what happens. And, you know, maybe we ease too much. And so what are the signs that we need to look for that says we have to dial this back, that we have to withdraw this liquidity, that, you know, we added too much, that we've got to raise rates or, you know, we've got to start shrinking our balance sheet. But they're not thinking about those things at all. And I think because they realize if they thought about it, they'd realize that we're screwed. They'd realize that there's no way that they could raise interest rates. It's impossible without crashing the economy. And so since there's no way they can do it, they're not even going to think about thinking about it. They're just going to hope for the best, right? This is a complete experiment, right? They're like little kids with a chemistry set and they're throwing all the chemicals together and they're just hoping for the best. They have no idea, but they don't really care because they know the alternative is unthinkable, right? The, the actual raising interest rates would now do so much damage to this bubble that they can't even think about thinking about it. And so it's off the table. So that means anybody who is thinking, okay, when might the Fed raise rates? You know, that was kind of supporting the dollar or that was kind of keeping a lid on gold because people didn't know when the Fed might hike. Well, now you know. They're never going to hike because they're not even thinking about thinking about hiking. I mean, how could you hike when you're not even thinking about thinking about it? You have to at least be thinking about something 
before you can do it, right? But they're not even deliberating. They're not even trying to bring up scenarios uh, under which they may be forced to raise interest rates, right? They have no contingency plan, right? They have no plans. If inflation gets out of hand, there's no plans to do anything about it because they can't do anything about it. In fact, one of the points that Powell stressed several times, right, during his press conference was that, you know, we had really, really low unemployment for a long time, right? Before this COVID recession started, the unemployment rate was, what, 4% or less than that. And we didn't have any inflation, or at least the way uh, the government measures it with the CPI, right? We had inflation, just not uh, measurably more than 2% per year. And so Powell was saying, well, we now know that there is no trade-off between unemployment and uh, inflation, which, of course, there never was, right? But now that Powell is saying that, well, the Fed no longer believes in the Phillips curve, uh, that, you know, we're going to tolerate, and then he corrected himself, well, not really tolerate, we're going to enjoy low inflation. Uh, I mean, rather, we're going to enjoy low levels of unemployment and not think that we need to raise rates. But wait a minute, we don't have low unemployment. We have high unemployment. We have double-digit unemployment. So what Powell was saying is that, he is not going to watch the unemployment rate fall and be at all tempted to raise interest rates. Because according to Powell, we got to 4% unemployment and we had no inflation problem. So why should I care? I'm going to wait until the 16% unemployment we have now, wherever it is, I'm going to wait all the way until it comes down to 4% or lower before we start thinking about thinking about raising rates. Because we already learned a lesson uh, that a low unemployment doesn't cause inflation, which is true. It doesn't. What causes inflation is the Fed's money printing. That's the inflation. But the Fed has now got a false sense of confidence that because they dodged that bullet, that they're going to dodge it again. But as I said in a prior podcast, we dodged a bullet only to step into a landmine. That's what's going to happen. We're not going to get lucky again. We're going to have massive inflation. In fact, we're going to have the opposite. Last time we had uh, low unemployment and low inflation. And what Powell thinks we're going to have is low unemployment and low inflation again. We're not. We're going to have high unemployment and high inflation. Uh, The jobs are not going to come back, but the inflation is. That's what's going to happen. This is going to be stagflation. Something that the Fed doesn't even have on its radar is exactly where we're headed. And you can see that now. In, in the the foreign exchange market, you can see that now in the price of gold. Gold's going up, the dollar's going down, and the price declines that we initially saw uh, during uh, COVID, right, as everybody locked down and all the demand temporarily went away. Well, now we're starting to see the price hikes, even though we got the CPI today, this morning, and we still didn't show uh, anything. I think it was down one-tenth, the official number for the prior month. Uh, But I think we're going to start to see going forward uh, a noticeable pickup, even in the way the government measures consumer prices. But again, the Federal Reserve is going to do absolutely nothing about it. And I kind of think it's ironic, too, that later in the day, uh, I got the news that the national debt just went through $26 trillion. It's added the last trillion dollars in just over a month. In fact, it's added $2 trillion in two months and two days. So we're adding about a trillion dollars every 32 days, right? One month and one day to add a trillion dollars in debt. You know, it took until 
1986 before the national debt got to two trillion, right? So it took 210 years to run up the first two trillion dollar national debt, and it took us two months and two days to run up the last two trillion dollars of debt. Uh, but this is going to continue. Now, I do think the pace is going to slow down. I mean, there's no way that we can stay on this pace. But, you know, uh, the Powell just basically raised, uh, waved a red flag at a bull today, the equivalent, when he's telling the government, hey, don't worry about the economy. I don't care what the data is. I don't care if it's a V or a W or whatever. We're keeping rates at zero no matter what. Right. I mean, we're just going for broke. Uh, literally, when it comes to zero uh, percent interest rates and quantitative easing, we're going to keep on buying bonds. No matter how many bonds the Treasury is trying to sell, we've got your back. We're going to keep on buying them. Well, what uh, the Fed is telling Congress is pass another stimulus, another trillion, another two trillion. We will monetize any debt that you want to sell to finance any government spending bill that you want which means we're going to get more. We're going to get another stimulus based on this green light. I mean, who's going to stand against free money, especially in an election year, right, when the Republicans are vying with the Democrats to see who can buy the most votes. And since nobody has to raise anybody's taxes, the Federal Reserve is simply going to print all the money. Well, this is going to usher in even more stimulus. And so, yeah, I mean, we're going to keep getting the national debt rising, although I can't see that we could continue the pace of a trillion dollars a month. I mean, we can't possibly add $12 trillion per year to the national debt, at least not yet. But I do think that uh, once the Democrats have the White House and both houses of Congress, that may be the case. That may, in fact, happen, because if uh, government is this reckless with Republicans in charge, if there's no opposition to deficits and deficits from Republicans, then why should we expect to have any uh, opposition from Democrats? We shouldn't. But I wanted to talk about a few of the other comments that, that, that Powell made in the, uh, in the Q&A that followed his uh, official statement. One of the comments that he made is he talked about all the people who, through no fault of their own, you know, the COVID-19, were out of work. They lost their jobs. And it was the government's uh, responsibility to put those people back to work. Now, first of all, one of the reasons that a lot of people lost their jobs was because the government ordered that the businesses shut down. So it was the government that destroyed the jobs. So let's not forget about that. But these were the local governments. These are state and local governments. It's not the federal government's job to try to put people to work that the states are throwing out of work, right? It's the state's job to allow these businesses to reopen. But then it's not about the government putting people to work. That's what happens in a socialist economy. We want the free market to put people to work. We want people doing productive work, and they will do it so long as the government stays out of the way. It's not the government's job to create jobs. It's the government's job to get out of the way so that the free market can create the job. But Powell seems to think that the government and the Federal Reserve are supposed to create jobs, which they're not. But even if they were supposed to, they can't. You know, one of the other ironic statements that Powell made is, you know, they were talking about inflation and the Fed's failure to hit its target, right? And, and Powell was like, you know, we have to remain humble about our ability to create inflation or something like that. I mean, the one area where the Fed doesn't need to have humility is creating inflation because that's the only thing the Fed can do. 
And it's creating massive inflation. In fact, I think the Fed is now creating inflation for the history books. I mean, we're going to go through what will be historically one of the greatest episodes of inflation the world has ever seen, courtesy of the Fed. So the Fed is great at creating inflation. What it's lousy at creating is economic growth and jobs. It can't do that at all. But for some reason, Powell is confident in the Fed's ability to do that, right? He's very arrogant when it comes to his ability to do something he can't do. And he's humble about the Fed's ability to do the only thing that it can do, which is uh, create inflation. But I think the, the best question he got was the last one. And I'm not sure who asked it, but it was a great question, right? And so this is what some guy asked Jerome Powell. He talked about the stock market, and I'm going to get to the stock market in a minute. But he said, you know, the stock market has gone way up since you uh, launched this new policy. Every single stock in the S&P 500 has gone up. He said, Mr. Powell, are you worried? Is the Fed worried that you are creating another asset bubble that is going to pop and that when it pops, it's going to compromise the recovery? Are you also worried about a misallocation in resources that might result from a stock market bubble and that that misallocation of resources might actually leave the economy worse off? Excellent question. And then he followed up by saying, aren't you also worried about uh, wealth inequality? Aren't you worried about that by pushing up asset prices, you are further uh, widening the divide uh, of wealth and making the wealth inequality greater? So that's an excellent question because the answer is obvious, right? The Fed is creating an asset bubble. It is misallocating resources. It is widening uh, the wealth gap. And it is going to undermine the recovery, not even a recovery. It is going to leave the economy worse off uh, than it was before. The Fed is doing everything wrong. And it should be worried precisely about these problems. But Powell gets this question. And I'm like, okay, I, I got to hear this answer. And basically, I'm waiting for him to answer the question. And he keeps on talking and talking. And this was the last question. And by the time he was done talking, he didn't address any one of these points. He refused to answer this question. He just went off on a tangent that kind of sounded like it was somewhat related to the question, but in no way did he answer any of the question. And so basically, by you know skirting uh, the question and dodging it and not answering it, it's obvious what the answer is. He just didn't want to give it. And the answer is either no, we're not worried, right, because we don't care, right? We're not worried about creating asset bubbles because we don't care that we're creating asset bubbles because we have no choice because if we didn't, then we'd have to you know, face the music sooner rather than later. So either the Fed isn't worried. Now, if they are worried about it, then they're never going to say that, right? The Fed is never going to admit that they're worried about creating an asset bubble. They should be worried, right? But they don't want to admit that they're worried. So either they're just uh, not answering the question because they don't want to tell the truth or they're not answering the question because the truth is even worse than a lie. Because if they're not worried about it, that's even worse than being worried about it. But you can't say you're worried about it because then why aren't you doing something about it? And if you're worried about it, why? What are the consequences, right? They don't want to even acknowledge what those consequences are, so they can't even answer this question. But really, the answer is no, they couldn't give a damn, right, about asset bubbles. They don't give a damn 
about misallocation of resources or widening the wealth divide. They don't care about any of that. Because remember, they got the monetary pedal to the metal and their eyes are closed. And they're not going to adjust uh, their path no matter what. It doesn't even matter what happens because they've already decided that they have no choice but to keep interest rates at zero and to keep on printing money. Because the minute they stop, all hell's going to break loose. So what difference does it make? Right? It doesn't matter if we drive over the edge of that cliff because we're blindfolded and we don't see it coming. Because if we don't have the pedal to the metal, we're all going to die anyway. So what difference does it make? That is what they're saying. And since they're saying that, and if you understand that, and I think more people will come to understand that as people you know, pay a little attention uh, to what was just said, you're going to see more and more people... Uh, you know, getting out of the dollar and more people buying gold. Which brings me to the market reaction to the Fed's comments. And, you know, there was a lot of jockeying around uh, leading into the, 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 the Fed minutes. And then, of course, we had a lot of volatility. And at one point, you know, had a big rise in the, the stock market. Uh, but then it sold off. And the Dow Jones ended up down 282 points, just over 1%. You know, the weakest stocks on the day uh, were the financials. Well, Fargo led the way down. It was down 9%. But I think the whole index, remember I've talked about the uh, the uh, regional bank index. It was down 6.7% on the day. So, you know, all of the banks got clobbered. But the news on Wells Fargo, and this is really telling because there's going to be a lot of other companies that are going to be in the same predicament as Wells Fargo. But Wells Fargo announced uh, a major stock sale. They're going to be selling stock into the market, and they're going to be using the proceeds of these stock sales to pay down their debt. Now, of course, the irony of it is the reason they have all this debt is because they borrowed money to buy back stock, right? And now they have to sell the stock that they borrowed money to buy in order to repay the loans. The problem is the stock is half the price. If you look at where Wells Fargo stock was trading since early 2015, it was basically a $60 stock until this most recent you know, COVID recession started and cut Wells Fargo in half. And so now it's just under $30. And so they're going to be selling back for half of what they paid to buy it. And in the meantime, they had to pay interest on the money they used to borrow the stock that's been cut in half. And of course, we don't even know that they're going to get 50 cents on the dollar because they haven't sold yet. The share price of Wells Fargo is likely to continue to go down in anticipation of these stock sales, driving the price down even lower and driving the losses to Wells Fargo higher. See, this is the opposite of a share buyback where the company borrows money to buy stocks. Now they're selling stock to repay the money they borrowed. And I said this was going to happen on my podcast years and years ago. I said, eventually, all these companies that are borrowing money to buy back stock are one day going to have to sell back stock at much lower prices to try to repay the debts. And the problem might be the stocks might fall by so much that they won't be able to raise enough money to pay back their debts and they'll end up going bankrupt. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. 
Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. And this is going to happen to a lot of other companies that were levering up and overpaying for their stocks, especially if interest rates really run up. In fact, had the Federal Reserve not been in the market buying corporate bonds right now, a lot of companies would already be in the predicament that Wells Fargo was in right now. They will be there eventually. This is going to be uh, the, the rule, not the exception. You're going to have a lot more companies selling stock at huge losses. That means a lot of shareholder value will have been destroyed because they would have overpaid for their stock when they bought it. And who knows, eventually they might have to sell it at, at, at you know, below value, you know, bargain basement prices you know, in order to repay this debt. So this is bad news for the real uh, market. So you have the Dow was down, S&P was down, a lot of stocks were down, but the NASDAQ continues to rise up another 0.67% today, a new record high. We closed at 10,020. This is the first close above 10,000. Yesterday, we peaked above it, but we didn't close there. This is the first close ever above 10,000. The high was 10,086.89. Uh, so the uh, the Nasdaq is continuing to power higher, you know, the FANG stocks leading the way. Um, people think this is a hedge, right? People are getting out of the companies that have real earnings and real PEs to buy the companies that are trading at ridiculous PEs because for them, earnings don't even matter. I mean, once you get into crazy territory when it comes to PEs, what difference does it make? So when you have a lot of established businesses that have realistic PEs assigned to their earnings and their earnings are collapsing, the share prices are going down because at least those stock prices have some relation to their earnings. But when you move into you know the fantasy land of the NASDAQ, and you have a lot of stock prices that are completely devoid of their earnings, right? They're trading at 100 times earnings, 200 times earnings, or they have no earnings at all, and they're just trading on hope. Well, when you're trading on hope, and when you're so far apart when the, from fundamentally, then what difference does it make? Even if the earnings are going down, it doesn't matter because the earnings never mattered in the first place. People are buying these stocks simply based on momentum. And so the momentum mindless buying continues in, in those names. So even as the, the real stock market is going down, right, the fantasy market of some of these NASDAQ stocks is going up. Look what happened to the Russell 2000 today. It got clobbered today, down 2.6% because these are real businesses that have to have more realistic valuations. Otherwise, investors won't buy the stocks. Uh, so that's where you're starting to see uh, the weakness. Uh, but the NASDAQ can continue to defy gravity. But how long is that going to continue? Obviously, not indefinitely. There is going to be a crash in that market, and it's going to be coming at some point. It's going to be it's going to blindside people when it comes. But I think it's going to be vicious. Being stuck at home these days, you probably don't think much about internet privacy on your home network. Fire up incognito mode and your browser, and no one can see what you're doing. Right? Wrong. Even in incognito mode, your online activity can still be traced. Even if you clear your browsing history, your internet service provider can still see every single website you've visited. That's why you need to use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN makes sure your ISP 
internet service provider can't see what site you visit. Instead, your internet connection is routed through ExpressVPN's secure servers. Each VPN server has an IP address that's shared among thousands of users. That means everything you do is anonymized and cannot be traced back to you. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data with best-in-class encryption, so your information is always protected. In fact, I experienced an added benefit of ExpressVPN the other day. I was in Puerto Rico on my computer. I wanted to view some content, but I couldn't access from my area. So I fired up the ExpressVPN. I've got the small icon always on my computer, and I just uh, clicked on it. And the next thing I knew, I was now browsing from a location in Florida as opposed to uh, Puerto Rico. And now the content that wasn't available to me in Puerto Rico instantly became available to me in Orlando. And I couldn't have done it unless I had the ExpressVPN. So protect your online activity today with a VPN that I trust to secure my privacy. Visit my special link at expressvpn.com gold, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com gold. Expressvpn.com gold to learn more. You know, you can see all the evidence of the speculation going on. In fact, one of the, uh, the um, aspects that is getting a lot of discussion is the trading in the stock of bankrupt companies. You have a lot of small investors using their Robinhood app. You know, in fact, a lot of people were taking the stimulus money and using it to you know, speculate on stocks on, on Robinhood, where you can buy very small quantities of stock online. And a lot of unsophisticated investors are just buying stocks. And one of the uh, types of stocks they're doing is buying companies that have filed for bankruptcy. Now, a lot of these uh, speculators don't really understand that the common stockholder oftentimes in bankruptcy gets completely wiped out. But even though the stock has a symbol and it's trading, it ultimately can have no value. But, you know, what do these guys care? Because they're going to buy it anyway. It doesn't matter what the fundamental value is. They just want to buy what's going up. And Hertz went up. And interestingly enough, uh, Carl Icahn, a famed billionaire investor, was the biggest shareholder in Hertz. And he bought it about four years ago. And he got out of the stock. He sold out for 72 cents. Right? He lost about $2 billion. This was an $80 stock back in 2014. I think that's about the time where Carl Icahn bought it, right? So he wrote it down from $80 uh, to 72 cents and then blew out his entire position at 72 cents. Now, why did he do that? Why did he wait until 72 cents and then sell? Or why didn't he sell when it was higher? Well, I guess he still had some hope that the situation was going to turn around. But once they filed for bankruptcy, he realized that it was a hopeless situation. I mean, probably nobody knows the books and the balance sheet better than Carl Icahn, considering how large an investor he is, how smart a guy he is, how many analysts he has probably dedicated to following Hertz, right? And Hertz's analysts came to uh, Carl and basically said it's a lost cause. 
There's nothing left for the stockholders. The bondholders are probably even going to take a haircut here. So even they're going to lose money. So it's a lost cause. It's going to zero. And so so Carl Icahn was like, well, 72 cents is better than zero. I mean, that's still millions and millions of dollars based on how many shares he had. And he was like, why should I let that money go to waste? I mean, if I saw a few million dollars on the street, wouldn't I bend over to pick it up? Sure. And that's what he was thinking about. He just saw a few million dollars lying on the street. It wasn't going to be there for long. And so he decided to pick it up. But then you've got these kids, these young people on Robinhood who bid the price of the stock up from the 72 cents where Carl got out. It got up to $6.25. $6.25 for a stock that is worthless. Now, today, Hertz crashed uh, 40%. But it's still at $2.52. It's still many, many times higher than where Carl Icahn bailed out, right? But it's still ultimately, who do you think is smarter, Carl Icahn or these kids? The stock's going to zero. Carl is happy that he got rid of the stock at 72 cents. Now, obviously, there's some kid that doesn't know what he's doing that bought the stock at a dollar who thought he was a genius when it was at $6. Now, He wasn't a genius, but he was pretty lucky if he sold. But what if he's still holding on to it? He still thinks he's smart because the stock's two and a half bucks and he bought it for a dollar. Well, if he continues to hold on to this thing, how smart is he going to feel when it's at zero and he's lost everything? Because somebody is going to be left holding the bag. Because the only way this guy can get out at $2.52 is if somebody else is dumb enough to buy a bankrupt company that's going to zero at $2.52. The reality is right now there's somebody who is that dumb. But pretty soon the supply of idiots is going to run out. Either that or they're just going to delist the stock and people won't be able to buy it because it won't be trading. But then the people who have it won't be able to sell it because there won't be a market. But that, and that's where we're headed. But the broader issue here is this is just evidence of the crazy speculative mania that currently exists in, in the stock market. And it's not just, you know, kids on Robinhood who are, you know, affected by this. This is professional investors, uh, hedge fund managers, guys that are managing big pensions and endowments. You know, I saw Muhammad El Aryan. Uh, of PIMCO, who's a pretty good, I mean, again, he's one of the guys that comes on CNBC that, you know, based on what he says, he, he, he you know, he understands probably a lot more than he lets on, right? Because everybody has to dumb it down uh, for the CNBC audience, right? You know, they don't want to have uh, what happened to me happen to them, right? If you lay it out, you know, <laughs> uh, they're, they're not going to want you on, right? They, they want you to uh, dumb it down for prime time and not really be overly bearish, even if, uh, that's what you believe. And so I think Alarian, you know, is more bearish than his public persona based on the comments that he makes. And one of the comments that he made, and he wasn't saying that this is how he felt, but he was commenting on the fact that this is how he thinks people in the industry feel based on the feedback he gets and the people he talks to, is that there is now a can't lose attitude Uh, among investors who are betting on this recovery, this V-shaped recovery, right? That if you're betting on the economy recovering and you are buying stocks out of that optimism, that you can't lose. And the reason you can't lose is this. If you're right and the economy does rebound really strong and that strong rebound does translate into improved corporate earnings, well, then you win by being an investor in the stock market, right? But if you're wrong 
and we don't have a V-shaped recovery, we just have a prolonged recession, you still win. Because under that scenario, the Federal Reserve just prints even more money. They keep interest rates at zero even longer. Hey, maybe they even go to negative interest rates. They do even more QE. And because the Fed prints even more money, if the economy doesn't recover, then it's going to print. If it does, then you still win. So it's a win-win. No matter what happens, you win by buying stocks. So just buy them because you can't lose. And again, that is the attitude that you get in a bubble when people throw caution to the wind because they don't think they can lose. Well, what they don't understand, even if they're right, and I believe they are right in their premise that if the economy doesn't recover, the Fed's going to print even more money. I mean, they're going to print money regardless because even if we do, quote unquote, recover, the phony recovery is only a function of the money printing. If the money printing stops, the phony recovery stops too. So that's never going to stop. But if the phony recovery loses steam, then they're going to print even more money to try to get going again. So I believe that investors are right to understand that. But where they're wrong is in thinking that this means that they can't lose because they could lose a lot because they don't understand how much they can lose because of all the money printing. They don't understand that the dollar is going to crash, right? And when the dollar crashes, they get wiped out. Their profits don't matter if the dollar itself collapses. You know, look at the look at the bond market. People were buying U.S. Treasuries um, in March. Ten years, you know, the yield got down to 40 basis points, 0.4. Um, well, since its peak in March, the U.S. dollar has lost about 7% of its value. 7%. Imagine foreigners were buying U.S. treasuries and they were they were willing to accept 40 basis points in yield. That means that after uh, 10 years, they would have earned 4%, right? 40 basis points, 10 times is 4%. So if they bought a U.S. treasury and they held it to maturity for 10 years, they stood to gain 4%. Well, if they are foreign, they've already lost 7%. That's almost the whole, that's almost twice. In fact, let's say that the dollar is down 8% in another week, right? Maybe less. The dollar drops 8%. If all you were going to get by holding the bond for 10 years was 4% and you've lost 8% in two months, you've lost two times the income that you would have gained holding the bond for an entire decade. And you've already lost twice that amount and it's been two months. And think about this. If the dollar has lost seven, eight percent of its value in two months, how much more of its value will it lose if you hold that 10-year treasury till maturity? Worse yet, what about the idiot who bought the 30-year treasury? What's the dollar going to be worth in 30 years? Now, look, the dollar isn't the only currency that's going to go down. So let's say you're a European and you, you bought U.S. treasuries, right? And let's say over the next 10 years, the dollar loses 50% against the euro. And I think it would be lucky if the dollar only lost 50%. I think it's going to lose more. But let's say you buy treasuries and the dollar loses 50% and you get back 50 cents on the euro. Your losses are going to be a lot more than 50% in real terms because there's going to be a lot of inflation in the eurozone over the next decade. 
So the euro is also going to lose purchasing power. It's just that the dollar is going to lose purchasing power even faster. Even more purchasing power will be lost. So the real losses to a foreigner who invests in U.S. treasuries are not just the foreign exchange losses between the euro and the dollar or any other currency in the dollar. It's going to be their own domestic inflation, which you have to add on top of it. So bond investors everywhere are going to get killed, but particularly bond investors in the United States. But at some point, and at some point soon, the world's investors are going to wake up to this reality. Right? They're not going to want to buy any U.S. treasuries. The losses are too big. When you have the Federal Reserve saying, we don't care, we're never raising rates, we're going to keep on printing money. When the budget deficits are exploding, the national debt is exploding, the dollar is a bottomless pit. Nobody is going to want to you know, loan money to the U.S. government to get paid back in 10 years, let alone you know, 10 months, 10 minutes. Uh, so the consequence of all the money the Fed has to print in order to bail out the economy uh, are catastrophic. And so that is going to result in real losses that Wall Street is overlooking. They think it's a freebie. They think it's get out of jail free. The economy doesn't recover. We print money. No problem. That's a big problem. It worked in the past because everybody thought it was temporary. Everybody thought it was emergency, one-time thing that would never happen again. Nobody is going to think that now. So investors who think they can't lose are going to find out the hard way exactly how much money they're going to lose. And, you know, I know there are a lot of people, too, out there, although maybe not a lot, a handful, actually, of other advisors out there who kind of say a lot of the same things as me, who talk about all the problems in the economy, uh, that talk about the debt, the stock market bubble, uh, all this stuff. But then when it comes to investment advice, they tell people to hold on to their dollars, to stay in cash, to stay in U.S. Treasuries, because they think this whole thing is going to end with deflation or that maybe we'll have massive inflation eventually, but we're going to have this big bout of deflation first. And so what you need to do is give them your money so they can invest it for you in treasuries and cash. And then they're going to know exactly when to commit that money, maybe into gold stocks or foreign stocks once the deflation uh, you know, has run, run its course and now it's time for the inflation. I think that is a very dangerous strategy. I think if you are in an account that has a lot of cash, uh, that has a lot of cash equivalent or U.S. treasuries, and you're waiting for the deflation great pumpkin to show up, uh, you're going to be waiting for a long time because that uh, pumpkin is never going to arrive. Uh, we're going straight to inflation. We're not pass and go. You're not going to collect $200 if you're waiting for deflation. So my advice is if you believe what I'm saying, right? if you believe that uh, there's going to be a consequence to this, that this bubble is going to pop, uh, that the dollar is going to crash, uh, then you got to get out of dollars now. You can't try to finesse this thing. You can't try to hope uh, that you're going to uh, get out of the dollar. I mean, you had this brief dollar rally back in March uh, and the dollar index went up, but it wasn't that big a rally. It, I mean, it, considering what was going on, there wasn't that big this so-called flight to the dollar and the dollar has already lost 100% of what it gained uh, when people were theoretically rushing to buy it, when everybody said there was a dollar shortage. There is no dollar shortage. There's a dollar glut. There is a surplus. In fact, the idea 
that there was a dollar shortage a couple of months ago. That's what emboldened the Fed to print so many dollars and give them to the U.S. government to spend because the markets were saying, we want dollars. So the Fed was, okay, here they are. Well, now the world is loaded up with dollars, even more than they had before. And they don't want them. They don't need them. It's not just our budget deficits that are exploding. It's our trade deficits that are exploding. So the real risk is owning uh, dollars. You know, people who think, well, I need to get out of the market. I don't want to take the risk. You can't just get out of the market because if you get out of the market and you get into the dollar, you're in actually a worse position. You know, I think people over the long run, people who own stocks are going to lose less money than people that own dollars, even if they own U.S. stocks. I mean, U.S. stocks are certainly overvalued in gold, but are they overvalued in dollars? Well, if the dollar goes to zero, let's say we have hyperinflation. Are U.S. stocks overvalued? No, because if you're going to price them in dollars and the dollar is worthless, then every stock is infinite, right? The price is infinity in terms of a worthless currency. So from that perspective, the U.S. stock market is not overvalued. It's the dollar that's overvalued. But I don't think the U.S. stock market is going to be the best hedge uh, for a collapsing dollar. I think foreign stocks are a much better hedge than domestic stocks. I think gold stocks will probably prove to be the best hedge of all. But what is not a hedge is holding the dollar itself. What is not a hedge is holding U.S. treasuries or muni bonds or corporate bonds. So if you are in the camp that I am correct and the U.S. economy is headed for a collapse, the worst thing you could do is hold on to cash because you're likely to be the biggest collateral damage. Because remember, I talked about the inflation tax, right? The inflation tax is the way the government is now funding itself. In fact, right now, when you look at the numbers, it's now 55 cents from every dollar the U.S. government spends is being borrowed. Only 45 cents of every dollar is being raised legitimately through taxation. 55 cents is being borrowed. But since it's all being borrowed from the Federal Reserve, that means that 55 cents out of every federal dollar spent is being printed, right? So 45% of federal spending is being financed with taxation, and the other 55% is being financed with inflation. But inflation is just another tax. That's all it is, right? With a legitimate tax, like an income tax, the government takes your money and gives it to somebody else that didn't earn it. So they take away your money, and now somebody else has that money, and they buy something with it. You can't buy something with it because you don't have the money anymore. Somebody else does, right? Well, when they tax you through inflation, it's really the same dynamic. It just looks a little different. Instead of taking your money, they don't take any of your money. They just print up new money and give it to whoever is going to uh, get the government check. So now somebody gets money that they didn't earn, just like through a transfer, the Fed prints the money and gives it to them. But that doesn't mean there's more stuff to buy, right? The person who's just getting a check from the government, he didn't contribute anything to the economy. He didn't put any produ production in. He didn't provide uh, services or produce goods. He just got a check. And now he's going to spend it. He's going to try to uh, take out stuff, but he didn't put anything in. So where is it coming from? Because the Federal Reserve doesn't create any stuff. It just creates money to buy stuff. So what happens is the new money that the Fed creates and gives to somebody to spend, all that does is destroy the value of all the money that already exists. So now the federal government didn't tax me, but 
all the things that I want to buy go up in price. And so now I can't buy as much stuff. Even though I have the same amount of money, I'm buying less stuff. It's the same way as if the government had taken some of my money. And so now I had less money available so I can buy less stuff. Now I have the same amount of money, but all the stuff is more expensive. So I can still buy less stuff. So instead of my money being transferred by the government, it's my purchasing power that's being transferred. So it's the inflation tax. And it is going to clobber anybody who's holding on to U.S. dollars. So if you think you're going to ride this out in cash, you're not. You're going to get clobbered by the inflation tax. So what you want to do as quickly as you can is get out of cash, right? Don't hold on to it. You know, send your money, open up an account uh, with your Pacific Capital. We can invest that cash. We can get you into good quality stocks. I have several uh, good portfolio managers, CFAs who are analyzing these stocks, helping us pick the best quality companies around the world that you can invest in that pay good dividends and picking the best gold stocks that you could buy uh, to cash in on the huge increase in the price of gold that is going to accompany not only this inflation, but the remonetization of gold as central banks around the world replace the U.S. dollar with gold, right? We're going to be using gold again as the primary monetary reserve, not U.S. dollars. The dollar is going to be in free fall, and the world is going to need an alternative. And it's not going to be the euro. It's not going to be the yen. It's not going to be RMB. None of those fiat currencies make any sense either. Even though they're uh, better than the dollar, they're not nearly as good as gold. And the dollar never would have been the reserve currency, but for the fact that it was redeemable in bold, it was convertible into gold, None of those other currencies currently are. The only thing they can do is is own the gold itself, and that's what's coming. But even before uh, Powell's conference, I was watching on CNBC, and they were interviewing a guy. I don't remember his name. He was an African-American guy. And, of course, you know, they're bringing a lot of African-Americans on to talk about, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter and racism and, and what we're going to do about wealth inequality. Uh, the idea is that wealth inequality is because of racism, even though racism has absolutely nothing to do with wealth inequality. We do have wealth inequality. I will acknowledge that we have it, but it's not because of racism. It's because of other factors that nobody uh, wants to deal with. Everybody wants to ignore and just say it's because of racism, because that's the political expedient a scapegoat to blame it on. And of course, if you blame it on racism, well, the solution is just more government and more money and more money to the charities that are going to stamp out racism. Uh, so nobody wants to acknowledge uh, the real problems. And I, I spent some time doing that on some other podcasts, but I wanted to just uh, bring up this particular guy because of what he was proposing, because they were talking about the Fed, right? And what can the Fed do to help bring about uh, less income inequality. I mean, the guy talked about the fact that I think the average uh, African-American family has maybe one-tenth the net worth of the average white family. And of course, this is all skewed by the billionaires, right? Because if you look at all the billionaires, right, that's where all the big net worth is. Uh, but, you know, there are plenty of white Americans that have no net worth. I mean, blacks aren't the only people that are living on credit cards and are, you know, paycheck to paycheck. You have a lot of white people who are just as broke as a lot of these black families. So the numbers are really skewed by the Zuckerbergs and the Buffets uh, and, and these guys that have so much money, right? Uh, but when he gets back to, you know, what can the Fed do, right? What can the Fed do about it? 
The real answer should, well, the Fed can't do anything about it. That's not the Fed's job uh, to address income inequality. That's not part of their mandate, right? So there's really nothing the Fed can do about that issue, even if it was the result of racism, which it's not. I mean, there's nothing the Fed's going to do about that. But this guy had a solution. He said that what the Fed can do is to uh, let inflation be higher, right? Not be so quick to raise interest rates to when inflation starts to pick up, to just let inflation be higher so that we can have more economic growth and we can create more jobs. So in other words, this guy believes that the best thing the Fed could do for African-Americans is to have more inflation, right? If we could just have a higher cost of living, that's going to help African-Americans because we're going to have a stronger economy that's going to create more jobs. I mean, that's complete nonsense. You're not going to create a stronger economy by creating more inflation. You're actually going to create a weaker economy. See, this guy still believes in the Phillips curve. He thinks that if there's a trade-off between employment and inflation and that somehow if we have more inflation, uh, we'll create more jobs. That's nonsense. We're not going to create more jobs and the jobs don't create inflation, right? But what the Fed is going to do is undermine the real economy and hurt African-Americans. I mean, not only is a reckless Fed uh, going to uh, undermine economic growth, but this guy was complaining about wealth inequality. Well, one of the reasons we have so much wealth inequality is because we have an asset bubble, because the Federal Reserve has done exactly what this guy wants them to do, because they've kept interest rates too low for too long. They siphoned money out of the real economy that's not going to uh, productive use that might create good jobs for African-Americans. Instead, it's financing speculation on Wall Street that is not creating many jobs at all uh, for African-Americans, but is lining the pockets of the white guys that are already rich, right? So these rich white people uh, are getting richer because of these Fed policies. How is that going to narrow uh, the, 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 the wealth gap. It's going to exacerbate it. This guy doesn't understand that part of the reason that the gap is so wide is because the Fed is doing exactly what he wants them to do more of. And if you think about it, what is the worst thing that can happen economically to African-Americans is a higher cost of living, right? If you're talking about African-Americans on average, right, tend to be less affluent, right? They have lower incomes as a group. Well, the lower your income is, uh, the more sensitive you are to the price of things, right? The more uh, food prices, for example, are going to impact your quality of life. So the people who have the most to lose from higher inflation are poor people, people living, uh, you know, paycheck to paycheck, people who are wage earners, right, who earn a living and now they have to go buy stuff with their wages. And if you make the prices of the goods and services that they need to buy more expensive, You've, you've made their life worse. So what this guy wants the Federal Reserve to do would actually hit hardest the African-American community, right? It's not going to improve their incomes, but it is going to increase their cost of living. And even if their nominal wages go up, right, their cost of living is going to go up even more. So their real wages are going to decline. And as if that wasn't bad enough, too, the other thing that this guy was advocating that could be done to help African-Americans was increase the minimum wage, right? So he wants more inflation and a higher minimum wage, which will actually make the inflation problem even worse uh, by artificially inflating labor costs. But 
what the minimum wage also will do is deny more African-Americans the opportunity to get a job in the first place. Because the higher you make that minimum wage, the higher you make the first rung of the job ladder. And so the higher that rung is, the fewer people can reach it, right? The people who are most affected uh, by the uh, minimum wage are the lower skilled, unskilled workers. And again, they are overrepresented in the African-American community based on the numbers, right? And so the minimum wage hurts everybody, white people, Hispanics, right? All ethnic groups are impacted by the minimum wage, but it disproportionately impacts African-Americans. So if you want to help African-Americans, get rid of the minimum wage. Yet this guy wants to raise it even more. So everything that he's advocating that Congress do, everything that he wants the Federal Reserve to do to help African-Americans is going to hurt African-Americans more than it does the general uh, uh, population. But it's going to hurt everybody. It's just going to hurt African-Americans worse. And then, of course, when that happens, when these policies you know, make the situation worse, well, now they can claim it's all racism. Oh, we got even more racist than we were before. Now we need even more money. Now we need to step up our efforts to stamp out racism because African-American unemployment has gone up even more. The wealth gap is even wider. And they're not going to realize that it's because of the minimum wage hikes. It's because of all the extra inflation and other things. That's what's driving the problems. It's got nothing to do with racism. I just want to finish up this podcast, too, by talking about the most recent, I guess, ridiculous aspect of the whole, you know, uh, America's racist uh, Black Lives Matter movement right now is the idea that we need to defund the police, right? You have a movement now, particularly like in Minneapolis, where this whole thing started, that because the police are racist, we need to get rid of the police, right? Because they're racist, so we just got to abolish the police department, defund the police department, and then let's use the money that we used to pay the police and let's just, you know, use it for social programs, right, uh, that will benefit, uh, you know, the inner cities and we'll just get rid of the police. I mean, of all the asinine ideas, and this thing is kind of going mainstream. I mean, people, again, are afraid to oppose it because I, I think I said another podcast, I mean, once you play the race card, Everybody folds because now if you if you don't want to defund the police, well, then you're a racist. Right. If you if you disagree with anything that the mob wants to do, the mere fact that you've disagreed with it means that you're a racist. Right. In fact, I hear people saying now that if you deny that you're a racist, then you're a racist. Right. The denial of being a racist is proof that you're a racist. Well, then everybody's a racist because either you say you are a racist or you're not. Right. If you admit to being a racist, well, then you're a racist. If you deny you're a racist, well, then you're even a bigger racist. Right. So everybody's a racist. And if you don't want to defund the police, well, then you must be a racist, too, because the police are racist. Now, again, I'm sure there's some policemen who are racist. I mean, there's racists all, you know, all over the place. So why wouldn't they be in the police department? Uh, are is the do policemen on average you know, are there more racist proportion on a police department? I don't know, but I would imagine that the percentage is very low. But certainly all of the problems uh, that we're seeing are not the result of racist police. But hey, they want to defund the police. But what would actually happen if they did that? What would happen if some of these cities actually abolished the police department? Right. And in fact, I was watching an interview on CNN and they had one of the council members from um uh, Minneapolis, who voted to defund the police. 
And the lady asked her, hey, you know, what's going to happen if, you know, somebody's house gets robbed? And, uh, you know, they, they, you know, who are they going to call? You know, in the middle of the night, somebody's robbing their house. If there's no police, who do you call? Right. And so the lady said, well, you know, I guess that's going to be a problem. But, you know, white people are going to have to learn to deal with it. You know, right? Because, you know, right now the police don't help African-Americans. We can't call the police when we're being robbed. So now I guess white people are going to be in the same predicament, right? It's like a trade-off we're going to have to make. The police are so bad, they're so racist, and they're suing so much harm that even though they're doing some good for some people, well, that's just part of the privilege, right? White people have the privilege of a police department that protects them and black people don't have that privilege. And so we need to get rid of the police department and then, and then everybody will be the same. Now, nobody will have the protection of the, the police. I mean, this is what this woman was saying, but what would actually happen if cities like uh, Minneapolis were to defund the police, right? And there may be some other cities that do that, right? Well, first of all, the whole nation is not going to do that, right? Every uh, city is not going to get rid of their police. I mean, there are plenty of people who want, uh, the police department to protect their property, right? I mean, people don't want criminals just running rampant in their community. So they're going to want to have a police force. But let's say you have some of these cities that decide that they don't want to have any police. Well, what's going to happen? Well, that's going to be a huge win for the communities that still have police. Because if you're a criminal, if you want to start committing robberies or you want to commit rape or all kinds of crime, where do you want to go? Do you want to go to the towns that still have a police department or do you want to go to the towns that have no police clearly you're choosing the towns without police right if you want to commit robbery the fact that there's no police that's a big win for you so all of these towns that want to defund the police are going to have a crime wave right criminals are going to be coming from all over the country to the cities that no longer have police and so what's going to happen a lot more crime a lot more people are probably going to get killed right so a lot more black lives are going to be lost because we don't have police, then are lost because we have police. In fact, if you look at the number of unarmed African-Americans that police shoot, right, the number of black, it's tiny. There's hardly any compared to the number of African-Americans who are killed uh, by the, the civilians, not by the police. And most of the civilians who are killing African-Americans are themselves African-Americans. That's where uh, almost all of the deaths are occurring from guns. It's has nothing to do with the police, right? And so if they get rid of the police, then those deaths are going to increase dramatically, which shows you that it's not about black lives mattering because if black lives mattered, you'd want the police. You'd want the police in those communities that have a lot of crime protecting black lives. It's the people who want to defund the police that don't care about black lives because clearly a lot more black lives are going to be lost if there's no police. Now, the irony of it is, if you're going to defund the police, what you need to do is refund the public the money, right? If you're no longer going to be you know, paying for police with tax money and you get rid of the police, well, you got to return the tax dollars to the residents, right? A lot of times the, the police budget comes out of local property taxes, right? A good chunk of your property tax goes for your local police department. And part of that trade-off is, hey, the police are protecting my property, right? I have a property in this town and I pay money so the police will protect me. So I, I can make a call in the middle of the night if somebody breaks into my house and the police are going to come, right? That's part of the, 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 what you get for your property taxes. Well, if they eliminate the police, they got to cut your property taxes. You're not getting the police anymore. So you got to get your money back so that now you can protect yourself. 
right? If the police aren't going to protect you, you can't be defenseless. So what do you need to do? You need to arm yourself. You need to buy your own gun. Uh, maybe you need to hire a private security guard, which is what would happen, right? If there were no police, people aren't going to just be defenseless. So communities will organize and they will have private security forces protecting their property, protecting their neighborhoods. And so that's fine. If the government wants to stop doing it, allow the private sector to do it. But what a town like Minneapolis wants to do is they want to stop spending money on the police but still spend it on social programs. So imagine you're living in Minneapolis, you own a home in Minneapolis, and they tell you no more police, but you're still going to have to pay these high property taxes because we're just going to take your property taxes and instead of giving it to the police to protect your property, we're just going to use it for these social programs. I mean, what's going to happen? People are going to move out of uh, Minneapolis. They're going to try to sell their property. I mean, no one's going to want to buy, but who's going to buy a property and pay property taxes when none of your property taxes are going to a police department, and, but you're still paying high property taxes. They're just taking that money and they're, and they're giving it uh, you know, for, in welfare programs. Meanwhile, you're going to be living in a place where crime is rampant. There's no police and you don't have the money to protect yourself. I mean, so these towns would really be shooting themselves in the foot, actually in the head, uh, if they were to defund the police. But as asinine as this idea is, it's actually gaining a lot of traction. And, you know, the irony of it is the police are government, right? This is government. You have all these people who are socialists. They believe in big government. What is the police? It's government. That's what it is. And so why do they like government so much except the police department, right? They like all other aspects of government, but they want to get rid of the police department. There's a lot of other departments that we should be getting rid of. In fact, look at the, the Congress now is going to be proposing some type of legislation for police reform. This is not Congress's business. Let the states, let the towns and the cities reform their own police departments. This is not a federal issue. You know what the federal government should reform? The FBI. How about the IRS? You know, they want to make it easier. And I haven't seen the text of some of these bills, but they want to make it easier to, um, to sue the police if they do something wrong. What about suing the IRS agents? You know, right now they're immune. The federal government has written laws where you can't sue the government. You can't sue IRS agents no matter what they do. How about changing that? How about the federal government letting taxpayers sue IRS agents that violate their rights? That probably happens with a lot more regularity uh, than in the police department. But that is the irony. You have all these people that love government so much that hate the police. Right? They, they, the only thing they want to privatize is the police department. Well, they don't really want to privatize it. They just want to get rid of it. Right? But they put their faith in government, uh, except when it comes to the police. The police are government. Right. So if you if you love government, then you can't hate the police. Right. Because what these uh, socialists really want is a police state. That's what they want. They want the government uh, to use force to take things from other people. They, they, they actually want legalized theft. Maybe that's why they they don't like the police, because what they want to do is steal. But of course, they're never going to uh, reflect upon the inconsistencies and all the things that they believe because they don't really believe in anything. This is all a political narrative. This is all about getting power, getting political power and, and doing things 
that they couldn't do if they didn't have the cover of racism, right? This is much better uh, than environmentalism. All that now is taking a backseat, the Green New Deal. Nobody is going to be talking about global warming anymore. That's not a threat. The threat is not global warming. The threat is racism, right? Racism is pernicious. It's omnipresent. It's everywhere and everywhere in the United States. It's responsible for all the problems that exist. And so we just need to stamp it out. And we can. All we need to do is elect Democrats uh, to Congress. We have to have progressive Democrats and we have to have a Democratic president. And we have to give all sorts of money to all of these uh, charities that are dedicated to eradicating racism. And now all these corporations, and I can't believe my inbox is full. Every day I get all these emails from companies that are telling me they're apologizing uh, for how they've treated blacks and they're going to atone for that and they're going to make huge changes and they're telling me which charities they're donating money to and how the whole country is now uh, changing everything, right? And this this is all part of an agenda that uh, you had certain uh, people pushing and they weren't able to make all this progress. And now they're making tremendous progress under the guise of, of racism. And so that, that's the only agenda they have. It's, it's not really about eradicating racism. It's about lining their own pockets. Oh, and by the way, if you're wondering why I didn't do the live podcast today on YouTube and why I am not doing video, if you remember, uh, I came down to uh, Connecticut over the weekend. So the last time I did a podcast, I was in Puerto Rico. And when I got down to Connecticut today, when I went to record the podcast, we discovered that we're missing some equipment that we needed to order uh, to get the uh, uh, studio down here working so that we can do a live stream uh, with video on YouTube of the podcasts. And so while we are waiting for the new equipment to come in and to set up my equipment, Uh, I am going back to the old format, so it may take another week or two before we get this new equipment down here in Connecticut, and so we can go back to uh, the more newer format, which includes the live podcasts and the video content. So for now, we're just going to be going back to the audio version of the Peter Schiff Show, Uh, but don't worry, uh, my pretty face will be back soon enough uh, when the new equipment arrives and is installed. Again, the shipments may be a bit delayed uh, in this uh, post-COVID world, uh, but we're working as quickly as we can to get it all set up. Bye for now. (laughs) 